Jesus calls us to take up our cross and follow him. You're listening to Crosswalk with Pastor Steve Winery. Crosswalk is the radio ministry of Calvary Chapel Tri-Cities, and it is our aim to lead you to the cross through the teaching of God's Word. Welcome to Truth Set Free, our Calvary Chapel Tri-Cities Q&A program. It is recorded live on Wednesdays at 3.30 p.m. with Pastor Matt Lewis and Steve Winery. You can view the live program at our Calvary Chapel Tri-Cities Facebook page and on our YouTube channel. You can text your questions to 707-872-7677 or email them to crosswalkradio at gmail.com. It doesn't mean that I'm not a Christian, doesn't mean that I don't serve God, I'd just be serving God in some other position at that point because I've stepped across lines that people frankly can't get over. And um, what I, when I'm talking to a person that's in that situation, because one of the things that you have with people many times in these abusive type of relationships, things that you have with them is they are highly manipulative. And so they'll come up and say anything that they can to you. And so they'll come up with all the right words. I'm really sorry. I should be dead. Will you please forgive me? Or you don't need to forgive me. I just want you to know that I'm sorry. Say all the right things. And then you say, well, yes, of course you're forgiven. Can I babysit your kids? Exactly. And the answer is no, you moron. (laughs) Because a person who is actually repentant, if I had molested somebody and I was repenting to them, if they asked me to watch their kids, I'd go, you know what? I want. I would do anything for you, but that is not appropriate mm-hmm. because I'm repentant. And so what you're looking for when you're doing forgiveness is you're looking for real repentance. And this is how this goes. God forgives. Actually, I'll, I'll talk to people and I'll say, does God forgive everybody? And they always say yes. And I go, no, he does not. God does not forgive everybody. And then they go, oh, okay, well, you know, he forgives everybody that repents. Yes, absolutely. He forgives everybody that repents. And here's the deal with God. God can see repentance, whether or not I'm showing it on the outside. And so he knows what real repentance is. And if I go before God and I'm playing some kind of plastic repentance game, I'm not getting forgiven. I I can say the words all I want. And if God knows I'm playing some stupid game, there is no forgiveness there. It's only when I'm actually repentant that God takes my sin and casts it as far as east is from west. And so the point that I'm making here is that God is looking for real repentance, real repentance. And that's when he gives forgiveness. That, um, and that's what the scripture says that we're supposed to be looking for too, real repentance. And then at that point, we give forgiveness at that point. Then the next question I ask them is, okay, God does not forgive everybody unless they repent. Is God willing to forgive everybody? And then that answer is yes, absolutely. In fact, their forgiveness is bought and paid for 2,000 years ago. And God's looking down through the ages and looking for people to apply the blood of Jesus Christ to and bring them into a relationship with him. So bought and paid for before the forgiveness is ever given. And so then we come, we repent, and God cleanses us from all our unrighteousness. 
But it's not until the relationship is restored, until there's real repentance, that that forgiveness is actually given. And so when I talk to people about forgiveness, I don't expect them to just wake up one morning and, and the person who did whatever awful thing to them, they're like, oh, I just forgive you and I just love you and, you know, and come over to my house for, you know, turkey dinner or something. Sure. You know, it's like that's that's not what we're looking for. But what I do expect them to do, and this is according to Matthew chapter 18, is you got to be willing to repent the, or to forgive this guy from your heart. When he asks you for forgiveness and there's repentance there, you can see repentance there. You need to be able to forgive him from your heart. And so what that does with a person is it takes the whole issue of forgiveness and wraps it up in their mind. And they're <laughs> ready, willing. And when you're ready and willing, you want to do these things. It's like, it's like get your mindset there and you're looking forward to the day when there can actually be um, uh, repentance and forgiveness and, and that kind of thing. And you're not necessarily dreading the day. And a lot of people are saddened because the day never comes, right? And that's exactly how the Lord is mm. with things. And so, but but it's taken care of, and it doesn't become an issue in your own heart where you get bitter and, like Jesus says in Matthew eighteen, you're delivered over to the torturers. Most people who are unforgiving are the ones who are being tortured. Yeah, it's not the it's not the person who did the thing. It's the person who had it done to them and will not forgive. Yeah, and so. Has to be wrapped up, has to be ready to go, has to be real repentance. If a guy who molested me is, is asking if he can babysit my children, I'm immediately saying, hey, you know that thing about forgiveness that I just gave you? Guess what? And then we're going to have another talk about his repentance and his attitude and, and that kind of thing. And I'm going to say, I want to see real here. Uh, and, you know, until that point, move on. <laughs> you know, so... Okay, one more thing. Bible, we, we've talked a lot about what the Bible puts as the old man versus the new man. Uh -huh. And a lot of people will identify with the old man when our identity is in Christ. Right. And we're supposed to be a transformation where God's doing these spiritual things in our lives, making us more like Christ to have the ability to do all the things you've already laid out. This sets us free from our bondage as we walk in the power of the Spirit. Mm -hmm. And what psychology and all the points that we've laid out does is it instead identifies with the old man in the past instead right. of who we are in, in as our identity in Christ as a believer. Right, exactly. So, and so yeah, the old man is, has passed away. Old, old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And that's Second, second Corinthians 5.17. And, and so that's, that's where we live now. And so when you're looking at all these issues, you live here. And so live here and don't live in the past sure. with these other things. So, All right, good stuff. Changing topics completely. This is my next one. Do people still exist in the lake of fire for all eternity? Question mark. Or is that God's way of ending their suffering? It seems off to think about God letting them remain in eternity in that state. Okay. This is out of Revelation chapter 15, and it's talking about um, people who take the mark of the beast uh, during the tribulation period. It's in, starting in verse 9. It says, Then a third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and his image and receives his mark on his forehead or on his hand, he himself shall also drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out full strength into the cup of his indignation. He shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the lamb and the smoke 
of their torment ascends forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night who worship the beast in his image and whoever receives the mark of his name. And that's a passage that's talking about those who take the mark of the beast after obvious warnings not to take it end up in the lake of fire. And so they have no rest day or night forever who worship the beast in his image or whoever receives the mark of his name. There's another, I'm just going to give you a couple of passages here. This is out of the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus in Matthew chapter uh, 5 says, If your right eye causes you to sin, this is in verse 29, pluck it out and cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you that one of your members should perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you. For it's more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. And if hell was something that was that ended your suffering, Jesus could never say that at that point. Um, there's another passage in Matthew chapter 25 that talks about the judgment of the sheep and the goats. It's uh, the Gentile nations that are here when Jesus comes back. And he says, then also, this is Matthew 25, verse 44, then also, they, they then also will answer him saying, Lord, when do we see you hungry or thirsty or stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them saying, assuredly, in as, I say to you, inasmuch as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into everlasting punishment but the righteous into eternal life. That word, word everlasting and the word eternal is exactly the same word in Greek. So the punishment of the wicked lasts as long as the life of the righteous. And so the Bible's clear on, on the fact that when somebody goes to the lake of fire, that they are there for the rest of eternity. That is why the judgment against Christ was so radical. That is, that is why the payment for our sin was such a high cost. That is why God entered into history and all through scripture has been pointing people to the coming of the Messiah and the salvation that's found in him, which is free and effective for anybody who comes. That is why God's done this, because the alternative is so awful. It says in the passage, actually uh, earlier on, let me, let me see if I can find this here. It says, verse 41, Then he will also say to those on the left hand, Depart from me, you cursed, into the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. And so that fire, the fire that you're talking about as far as the lake of fire, was not prepared for mankind at all. It was prepared for the devil and his angels. And what's happening is the devil has taken as many people as possible with him to the place of his punishment which again uh, indicate is it's indicated clearly in scripture that this is going to last forever. So this is the situation that we've got. We've got eternal spirits. And so angels live forever. They're either going to live forever in the presence of God or live forever outside of the presence of God. And the picture that's given for living forever outside of the presence of God is eternal fire. And so is there a lake of fire and is it real fire and do souls burn in fire and things like that? You know, I don't know the answers to all those things, 
But if that is figurative on any kind of level, then the reality is always worse than the figure. And so I can't think of anything that I would like to do less than be thrown in a lake of fire. You know, I, I can't think of any other death that I would like less than being thrown in the lake of fire. And so that's the picture that's there. And what the Bible says is that when somebody goes to hell, they're separated from God forever. They're destroyed from the presence of God. And the word destroyed does not mean wiped out or nullified or anything like that. It means ruined, that they're ruined. You have a ruined soul forever when they've been separated from God. So we were made to be in God's presence. And hellfire is the opposite of God's presence. It's, it's being separated from everything that heaven represents, everything that heaven is for the rest of eternity. It's being, being taken out of the environment that you were designed to live in. And again, this is, this is intense. And that's the reason that God went to such lengths to keep us from going to hell. He doesn't, he doesn't want anybody. He's not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance. And so, yeah, it's, it's an awful thing, and people need to consider this. God makes it clear, Jesus makes it clear, that God is not in a situation where he's not letting people know. Uh, one of the things that the Bible says, that Jesus said, that the Holy Spirit is doing is he's convicting men of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. And so the sin is not responding to Christ, the righteousness is Jesus's righteousness. We all know that Jesus is righteous. Not many people try to say anything different. And the judgment is the final judgment. And the Holy Spirit is speaking to people about these things all the time. You are in, you are in sin. The sin that God's going to hold you accountable for is your rejection of Christ. He does that with people all the time. He lets them know that, that Jesus is righteous, that Jesus is the one. He's the way, the truth, and the life. He lets them know this all the time. And then thirdly, he lets them know that there's a judgment coming and all of these things matter and they matter radically. And so God knows exactly what hellfire is all about. God knows exactly how awful it is. And that's why God has, again, gone to such lengths to save mankind. You can tell how deep you're in a hole by how long the rope is that gets you out. Mm. And the rope that got us out was the righteous, holy, loved Son of God coming down to take your place in judgment. That, those are the stakes. Mm. So, yeah. Amen. Yeah. Okay, so uh, we know that it's eternal. Mm -hmm. We know that there's no cease to exist. You are there in some form. Mm -hmm. On the anecdotal side, do you think that the lake of fire, the ruining that you're talking about, is a destruction of, I, I don't know how to phrase it, like, going crazy like this broken soul or do you think that they have this cognitive ability like you and I do now to feel pain and the suffering for all eternity do you think that there's a different state in that destruction or it, it, it would just be like us being in how we are now separated from God for eternity is there any way to, to you know what I, I, I the, the only description that we have of a person in judgment is in Luke 16 right and that person was not in the lake of fire. Right. That person was in Hades. Yeah. And he talked about torment, and he was rational. He remembered his family. He asked uh, Abraham to send Lazarus back 
to talk to his brothers. Uh, and, and so you, you have a rationality there that's, and, and there is a torment there. I'm tormented in this flame, right. he says. One drip of water. <clears throat> yeah, one drip of water, my... please. And so I'm tormented in this flame. And so you have all of that there. When you're talking about the destruction in the lake of fire, again, it's, a, it's the term ruining. Um, I, you know, C.S. Lewis spoke about this and he talked about souls gibbering. For the rest of eternity, yeah, you know, just just gone mad, right, 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 uh, and and that kind of thing. That's that's a pretty frightening thing, yeah. Uh, when I think about it, the ruin though, maybe talking about the physical resurrection body, okay, because not only do believers get raised from the dead, unbelievers get raised from the dead too, right. And so we as believers are raised from the dead, and we get bodies like Christ's, and so there's no distinction made with unbelievers. And so it looks like they get resurrection bodies just like that, just like ours. And then they appear before God. They see God in all his fullness. And in his presence is fullness of joy at his right hand or pleasures forevermore. They're going to see what heaven is. And then they're cast out and they're cast in the lake of fire. And so some commentators have thought that the ruin that's being spoken about there is the ruin of their resurrection bodies. And then their spirits are there suffering torment because of the separation from God. Okay. And so that's all conjecture. Sure. Because the Bible doesn't specifically say, but Jesus talked about where their worm does not die. Yeah. And talks about the torment in the lake of fire. And it's the idea that the, the smallest animal does not die. You know, it's like that, that kind of picture there. Whatever you come up with, all bad. All bad. <laughs> you know? It's a, and, and when you go through and you look at the descriptions, it's called lake of fire. It's called, uh, again, a place of torment in God's presence is fullness of joy at his right hand or pleasures. Yep. And so the opposite of pleasure is torment. It's pain, right? And God is light. In him there's no darkness at all. And when you're talking about the lake of fire, it's called outer darkness. And you go through and you look at the, the attributes of God and, uh, and specifically the characteristics of heaven and when hell is described, it's exactly the opposite. It's the absence of all those things. Right. And so none of it. No. That's the scariest thing when I went through that is that it's not this pitchfork hell with fire and brimstone. It's the idea of complete love and complete hate, mm-hmm. complete goodness and complete evil. Can you imagine such a place? Right. Just the ability for us to breathe that we take for granted because it's just good. The, the sulfur burning. Right. It's like this, like you, you can't even breathe. Right. Everything about it is awful. Right. Spiritually. Yep. That's, okay. that's the issue. You don't want to go there. Okay. This is kind of a classic question. I was talking to a coworker who asked questions. The intention to the questions mostly trip me up, make me question my faith. But the question he had was where the wives for Cain and Seth came from. And then if incest is bad now, how was it not back then? Right. Okay, so the guys obviously already got the answer. You only have two people at the very beginning. It's Adam and Eve, and they're having children. And so the wives of Cain and Abel have to either come from their sisters or from their nieces because Cain and Abel and Seth later on were not the only children born to Adam and Eve. And so Cain, for example, could have been, you know, in his hundreds when he finally got married. Well, there's a lot of time to have a couple of generations of children there. And so you could be marrying your, your grandniece in that kind of situation. They, they had longer lives at that point, too. Okay. And so he already knows 
that it's coming from a from a family member uh, at that point. At at some point, a brother and a sister had to be a husband and a wife. You have the same thing with Abraham later on. Abraham's wife, Sarai, was his half-sister. And so they had the same father. They didn't have the same mother. And he married his sister. And there's no condemnation of Abraham in that situation. Uh, the the uh, command against incest that we take as being part of our society is from the book of Leviticus. And so it's not until after Moses comes along that there is a command that you're not to marry a brother or a sister or a close relative in those instances. And so something's changed between Genesis chapter 4 and the book of Leviticus. And the thing that's changed is humanity. And so at one point, God obviously tells Adam and Eve to go out and be fruitful and multiply, and that's their children also. They need to be fruitful and multiply, and God blesses that. And then at another point, God says, okay, stop. These are, the, these are the people that you're allowed to be married to. These are the people who are allowed to have children. And that's really the point of marriage in that instance. And so what changed? And what changed was humanity. And so you had a, you had a genetic bottleneck, for example, at the flood. Um, all of humanity is killed except for Noah's family. And now you've got a situation where the genome the amount of genetic material has been slashed radically. Noah was, didn't have the same genome as Adam, for example. And so you would have mutations entering in and things like that. And then you have another genetic bottleneck at Babylon, uh, the Tower of Babel, where the, the people get sent out into all the world and you have these small pockets of people living with each other. And so you're going to get, you're going to get some genetic bottlenecks there too. And you have more time going on. So more mutations. And so by the time that you get to the book of Leviticus, there are apparently so many mutations in the genome that it's dangerous to have children from somebody that is your close relative. And that's why the prohibition's there. Right. So if the prohibition's there, not there, it's not sin. And when the prohibition comes, it becomes sin. We know this from the hillbilly redneck incest family that has all kinds of mutations and weird yeah. things happening. But yeah. the other thing is, God's the fingers law. coming out of their shoulders. <laughs> yeah. God's God's the lawgiver. Yeah. So he gets to do that. Right. And then what's other interesting thing is that you know how God writes His law or His standard of righteousness on the tablet of our heart, and it's amazing how when God speaks. It's the conviction of the human soul to that response that makes it good or bad because of what God's standard is. Right, yeah, exactly. Law of morality. Yeah. And so there's a, there's a good scientific reason for that. Uh, one, of the, one of the problems that people who come out of the world have is they think that we're getting better over time. Yeah. And that is not what the Bible teaches. Because they've been taught evolution. Right. We're not getting better over time. We're getting worse over time. Yeah. And that, that actually is even an issue right now. There are geneticists who are worried about the human genome because we have so many point mutations that are taking place in each generation. You are 400 uh, mutations removed from your children. Yeah. That's all the time we have for this week. If you have questions for Pastor Steve, email us at crosswalkradio at gmail.com or send us a text at 707-872-7677. God bless.
You've been listening to Crosswalk with Pastor Steve Winery. Crosswalk is the radio ministry of Calvary Chapel Tri-Cities in Kennewick, Washington. If you are interested in purchasing a copy of today's message or wanting to know more about what it means to follow Christ, then please contact our church office by phone at 509-736-2086. You can also look us up online at calvary-tricities.org. There you will find a wide variety of Pastor Steve's teachings to listen to or download for free. If you want to join us for church sometime, we are located at 10611 West Clearwater Avenue in Kennewick, Washington. Our Sunday morning service times are 7.30, 9.15, and 11 a.m. We also have Wednesday and Sunday evening services at 6.30 p.m. We hope you have been blessed today and join us again next time for Crosswalk.